Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. I'm Clinton Krupp. And I'm Devika Girish. We're the editors of Film Comment. Last week, Thousand Sun Cinema, an online screening initiative by the Media City Film Festival, launched a unique virtual series devoted to indigenous cinema. Co-presented with the artist-run collective Cousin, the program brings together a vibrant selection of short and feature-length works by indigenous filmmakers, all of which are free to stream online until January 30th. The series features landmark films by established directors like Alanis Obamsavan, as well as more recent dynamic work from emerging artists. Though the films are eclectic with a variety of forms and themes on display, they're united by one principle. They center indigenous audiences and decenter the white gaze. On today's episode, we interview two members of Cousin, filmmakers Adam Perone and Sky Hopinka, about the series, the origins of their collective, and the community of artists that they've cultivated. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Adam and Sky, it's such a pleasure to have you on the Film Comment podcast. We've wanted to have you both on for a long time, and I'm glad that we've come upon such a perfect occasion to chat to you both. Before we get into the topic at hand, would you both introduce yourselves briefly to our listeners? Adam, maybe you want to go first? Sure. Yeah. Uh, my name is Adam Prone. I am one of the co-founders of Cousin. Yeah, I work with uh, Sky Husan as well as uh, Alexander Lazarovich and uh, Adam Khalil. And yeah, I'm a filmmaker and uh, writer and uh, based out of uh, Southern California and calling in from Porto, Portugal right now. And Sky, you're also in Porto, I think, just like a, a room or two over, if I'm not mistaken, right? Do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, my name's Sky Hopinka. I'm in a room or two over from Adam right now, <laughs> um, but based out of Hudson, New York, primarily. Cool. Yeah, so we are so excited about uh, A Thousand Suns Cinema's Indigenous Cinema Edition, this amazing online, globally available, free collection of work by Indigenous artists from all over the world. Um, it really feels sort of unprecedented in its scope and in its availability. And I know that you both are part of a collective called Cousin, and you collaborated with uh, Una Mosna at the Media City Film Festival to put together the CDs. I was wondering if you both could tell us a little about Cousin, you know, what it is, how it came about, uh, just to kick things off. We, we found a cousin back in 2018 at the Flaherty Film Seminar. We'd all been uh, been friends and stuff before that, me, um, Alex, Adam, and, and Sky. Um, but it was kind of the first time that we'd all sort of been in the same place at the same time. And, you know, we we all had kind of very similar interests and when, it, when it came to films and filmmaking and, and you know, specifically uh, a certain passion for advocating and, and for um, supporting indigenous artists working in that space, specifically sort of like the more avant-garde kind of experimental space. And so, yeah, it was something that with Cousin in particular um, that we decided that we wanted to to do something that would like, you know, be a platform for um, supporting those types of artists working in, in that in particular. And, and, you know, since then too, we're also like, we've been very, um, even I think with this series as well too, like we sort of push against you know sort of more kind of like an authoritarian kind of stance of it being like this is what this thing is if that makes sense and you know i think really kind of keeping things somewhat like a little bit more loose so that it feels right in the moment and also 
I think we're, we we try to be pretty malleable and, you know, and also try to in, involve other people's inputs uh, with this, particularly like with this endeavor as well, too. You know, when we were approached by Una Mosna from uh, Media City, as well as um, uh, Herb uh, Schallenberger, who is also one of the curators of it, um, you know, kind of giving them some suggestions and, you know, like talking about certain artists that we were interested in highlighting and also kind of like letting them sort of take it from there as well, too. So I think it's, um, yeah, it's been something that like, again, too, you know, we've we're currently right now supporting sort of what we call our, our second cycle of artists that we've been working with. Um, we have a, a book that is uh, should be coming out pretty soon in this coming year um, that we we collaborated with Light Industry as well, too, on that. That's a, a, it's an anthology of essays and uh, like both republished uh, essays as well as like new new commissions and stuff as well. Can you explain the cycles? how these cycles work because i noticed that your that cousin has the cycle one and cycle two and you said you're on cycle two and also i'm also curious like when you say you guys support artists you know what does that exactly involve yeah yeah i mean i guess like with the cycles it's just like our certain sort of round of support i mean like the first cycle consisted of 10 filmmakers and artists and the second one i believe there's eight um, but somewhere around that. And so, like, I mean, it's, it's a way for us to kind of think about how we're planning to what, how we're planning to support these artists and what that looks like, but also not be too tied to one specific model. Um, and so as we've been trying to think about this, we've been trying to like think about like, what does this look like in the future? And also like, our first rounds came right in the beginning of the pandemic. So that changed a lot of things and also shaped what we're doing with the second cycle and also how we're trying to go about thinking of the third and what a reform that takes. And with, as far as like the support, I mean, it, it begins like really simply with, with money, you know, like, I mean, there's not a lot of support for film in the United States, for experimental film, let alone indigenous film, uh, let alone indigenous experimental film. So it's something as simple as like getting a filmmaker $5,000 to like make the film they wanna make, buy a camera, pay their rents, you know, get groceries, whatever it is, you know, just like that sort of unrestricted funding is important. And it is thing that can be really helpful. Um, at the same time, too, we're also looking for ways to build these networks or to be in more communicative spaces with each other. I mean, and it, we had floated around before the pandemic, but our, it was going to be in the summer of 2020, was having a symposium of sorts where we can gather people together to talk about what is Indigenous cinema what makes it indigenous, what goes beyond that term, how to make work that is in conversation with other things that are happening. I mean, a big impetus for us creating Cousin was just the idea that like we found each other, you know, and just like for years, people had told me about Adam Khalil's work, like, oh yeah, you should meet this guy, same thing with Perone and Alex. And so it's just like, instead of being like the one Indian in these different spaces, we wanted to find ways to create a network of other native filmmakers where we're not competing with each other. We're not trying to race to be the token. Um, rather, we're just trying to support one another and that can be financially and it also can just be conversationally, just like sharing experiences that we've had in these different industries. Yeah, one other thing I'll add to that as well too is also like a big, a big difference that we sort of had from the first cycle and the second one is the first one was primarily um, like project support. Like it was just kind of like, it went to what we were calling kind of commissions, which I know that word can mean a lot of different things, but essentially it was like all project-based and then, you know, kind of like listening to a lot of people and, and um, you know, and even some of the other co-founders and stuff like that, we've expanded with the second cycle so that it's, uh, it, it can also be project support, but there can also be people that 
um, with some of the artists we've been supporting, um, it's gone towards, um, you know, supporting for their creative practice, like whatever that could look like. Um, but yeah, again, too, it's like, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, I think Cousin's really been like a, it, in a lot of ways, its own sort of experiment and its own kind of project or just kind of like listening to people uh, changing every single time. Like it, we've never like really done the same thing over and over again. So it's like, it's always like something is like some new iteration or some sort of evolution of like something that has happened before that we've done. So it seems like an attempt to kind of adapt to the needs of the artists or to figure yeah. out what those needs are and then bring, yeah. bring that assistance. I just wanted to ask about how the series came about with the Media City Film Festival um, before we get into the films themselves, how that collaboration happened, you know, why this moment, uh, what the process was like of putting it together. And uh, Adam or Sky, just as, since Una and Herb aren't here, if you could also briefly just tell our listeners what the Media City Film Festival is. I mean, Media City Film Festival, I think, is like one of the best experimental film festivals in North America. I mean, it's based out of Windsor, Ontario, like right on the border um, of Detroit, but with Detroit. And yeah, I mean, it's just like really, really always thoughtful programming and uh, a, a really wonderful festival to attend. And since it's moved online in recent years, um, it's just been really great to see the programming that UNA has done um to keep the, the the festival afloat and to keep these conversations happening you know with experimental filmmakers with filmmakers at large and this was really um an, an offshoot of that where una reached out to us with this proposal um to do something collaboratively like this and it, it took a few years to i think like figure out or just to get support um for it but oh so this um, is this has been years in the making yeah yeah i mean i i think it was like early pandemic when Una first approached us with, with the proposal, but then it's just like, you know, trying to find the, the financial support to pay the filmmakers was, was a bit challenging at times, I believe. And now that, um, I don't know, the grant was approved, the funding happens, like her and Herb really made, I don't know, such a big effort is getting this all together. I mean, like we, we proposed like some of the filmmakers and the films we were thinking about and these different artists and, I mean, as far as just like the the ideation of it and the formulation of it, I mean, really, like all credit goes to Herb and Una. What you've mentioned here is is really interesting that you're thinking more about in terms of the the role of the artists themselves, both in the contemporary work and you know Shelley Nero you mentioned and some of the older filmmakers. I had kind of a broader question about, you know, it's always when we are talking about like indigenous cinema or like black cinema or like we use a term for a cinema that's based around like the maker's identities you know are there characteristics within the works themselves that unite them or um is it just that they're made by indigenous artists and i was wondering within this series if you think that there are formal uh or thematic concerns that sort of run through them or do you consider them to be you know really eclectic and joined by you know little else than the fact that they represent um works by indigenous artists i don't know that's like a good question in that what is indigenous cinema you know just like such a vague term even the idea of indigeneity you know like everyone is indigenous from somewhere and so then what is the unifying idea around indigeneity as it's used today? You know, is it the effects of colonialism on a group of people um, or is it something more? And I think even with the sort of broadness of it, I think that leaves a lot of room for an eclectic group of people to then really to be responding to those ideas or those questions, not necessarily forefronting 
um, indigeneity or questions of, of identity, but rather what is relevant to them on their own terms and how that doesn't sense necessarily center like the white gaze or a white audience. I mean, I think that's like, that maybe that's like a, a, a way that I tend to think about it, not uh, explicitly, but just what is the thing that they're centering and how is it not made for like a white audience? You know, I, I think that that opens up the films to a lot more ways of looking at them as well. I mean, even just like, yeah, formally speaking, like uh, such a wide range of work and wide range of makers, you know, and it's just like, I don't know, in some ways, like how then to not think about them necessarily as indigenous filmmakers or rather like on their own terms, through their own lens and understanding the concerns that they're trying to work through or to share through their work, through their um, chosen medium. Yeah. And I, I agree with all that as well, too. I think like another thing for me, which Sky had also touched on is like, you know, something that specifically centers an indigenous audience, like whatever that can mean. Being out here in Portugal, like there was a, a journalist who had sent some questions and, you know, th this isn't like a dig to the journalists at all or anything like that. But, you know, the idea was like, do you find yourself like using alternative methods of making films to not center a white audience and it was like the idea again too it's like the idea that i think we always sort of find ourselves pushing or not so much ourselves pushing against but like i think with a lot of you know indigenous cinema whatever that can mean is like the idea of people there, there's sort of like two camps where there's the one where it's like cool you're making something that has a more mainstream appeal that is playing more towards a non-indigenous audience versus something that is explicitly sort of playing towards that audience or that community. So I think it's that that's one way that I've always kind of looked at it as well, too, is something that like and and I think, again, too, sort of with Cousin, the, the idea is to empower a lot of um, these artists to continue making work that does that versus, you know, trying to to play to an indigenous audience like as a secondary audience or something like that, which as a, you know, a colonized people, that's something that 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 can happen, obviously. So, yeah. This is really interesting what you guys just said about wanting to like distinguishing between work made for indigenous audiences and for white audiences. And of the films that I saw, I felt like there was one recurring theme about this idea of commercializing practices or experiences that have to do with survival or have to do with history or, you know, have to do with kinship and, and ritual and kind of also struggling with how filmmaking itself um, can be that process. I mean, filmmaking can be a process of translation, commodification. Um, your film, Adam, that you made with Adam Khalil, the short called Halpate, I I thought it was really fascinating because it's uh, about this practice of alligator hunting, which is this big tourist attraction in Florida. And you're the, the person, the hunter you interview kind of tells us about how it began as a means of survival. Uh, and then eventually through the intervention of a white man really uh, became a tourist attraction and a show and how alligator hunters from the Seminole tribe there struggle with that, right? Like, this is now their means of life, livelihood, but it's kind of making something that was a really inward, you know, practice into something that is like a, a product uh, for an audience. And I was wondering if you guys, if both of you could dig into that theme a little bit, uh, you know, that's also uh, in Shelley Nero's work, like uh, the shirt, the short is is really kind of a fun take on that as well, where she's wearing these uh, or these indigenous figures are wearing these t-shirts talking about the experiences of of their you know histories and it ends with like and all i got is this t-shirt and it's kind of a dig at 
you know, the souvenirization of, of history, maybe. And then the T-shirt gets taken away. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, in particular with, like, that film, um, you know, I, I, there's sort of the story um, how, not to get, I'll, I'll go into the history a little bit and then sort of, like, you know, expand upon it from there. But, you know, like, with, in particular with the the Seminole tribe of uh, Florida, they have a very unique history, um, one in particular, in that they're the only tribe within the U.S. that's never officially, uh, from a, a policy standpoint, technically been conquered by the U.S. government. Like, they, um, you know, originally, I think they were from the Georgia area, and then through the Seminole Wars, they they kind of got pushed down into the Everglades. And as, as a result, essentially, like one of the things was that they were able to do is that they were only able to, um, in during times of like, you know, hunger or famine and stuff like that, that they would actually go hunt alligators. And, um, you know, it was kind of like, it was sort of a, a last, last means of survival type of a thing. And so, you know, as, uh, as Florida started getting developed by tourists and people moving down there, um, sometimes like tourists in particular would see, um, you know, these Indians on the side of the road, um, hunting alligators. And they thought that it was a show and that they would essentially like leave them tips for something that they were already kind of just doing. And so they, they had kind of figured out from there that they were, if they were able to do this, do this hunting, but like as a show with alligator wrestling, that it was a means for, for their own survival again. So it was sort of like one method of survival going into another, um, and that, you know, they, as you'd kind of mentioned, they'd learned some techniques from uh, this one man, I think he was from Louisiana originally, um, who who kind of taught them a bit more of like, you know, alligator wrestling from more of a, a tourist standpoint, um, where they, they then sort of these different uh, non-Indigenous people had sort of opened up these like, these manufactured kind of like Indian villages where tourists would come in and like, look at people living in like these different dwellings and, and hunting alligators and things like that or wrestling alligators as well too, you know, doing that as a show. And then it really wasn't until I, I think about the late seventies that um, they were, there was one chairman of one of the, of the tribe in particular who was able to, to use a lot of the revenue and some of the, the cultural capital that they had um, to get into uh, uh, casinos and things like that. So they were actually the, also the first tribe to get into Indian gaming um, so again, too, it was sort of like one method of survival that sort of like jumped to another. And uh, and again, too, it was something where with that tribe in particular, they were they were able to sort of like push against um, the government um, that was trying to like crack down on them, uh, you know, doing gaming and things like that. And then, you know, they've taken it since then to now they own, uh, which I kind of have in the we, we sort of we highlighted it a little bit in the, the film that uh, now own the entire hard rock company. So like that's all owned by them. Um, so again, too, like with them, they, they, it's a very unique story of kind of like you know taking the worst of a situation that you're kind of forced to to deal with and and you're put into by colonization and kind of like turn it into something beyond that as well too. And you know, but the, also too at the same time like both kind of celebrating that, but also kind of like questioning some of that as well too. Like you know, why do people want to go see Indians putting their life? on the line you know for a few dollars or like or you know even you know questioning uh to a certain extent some of the you know some of the ethics or however you you'd want to frame it of like something like indian gaming and things like that um or like you know larger corporations like the hard rock and things like that but you know at the same time both kind of like celebrating it because it's like you know these people or like all of us to a certain extent have like you know kind of come from the bottom and have been able to translate that to a number of different things and yeah, and I think, you know, I I don't think that there's necessarily, it's necessarily a stretch to apply that to 
the cinema in general, like, you know, to sort of like how, where indigenous people sort of fit within some of the, the earlier, um, you know, some of the earlier history of cinema and like kind of our placement to, I think even like where we are now, where, you know, I think we've, uh, I'm, I'm super happy with like, you know, with a lot of the artists and a lot of the stuff that's going on right now um, in, in film, like indigenous artists. But yeah, it's, it's, I think it's just something that's a part of kind of like, at least within the U.S. I mean, I can't speak for indigenous groups outside of the U.S., but it's like, I think it's an experience that I think kind of translates in general, kind of across the board of continuing to live in sort of a colonized world. You're listening to the Film Comment Podcast. Sign up today for the Film Comment Letter. It's a free weekly digital newsletter featuring original film criticism and writing by Film Comment's editors and brilliant contributors. The letter delivers exclusive features, reviews, interviews, streaming picks, news, and more directly to subscribers' inboxes every Thursday before they're published on filmcomment.com the following Monday. Sign up today at filmcomment.com. That's such a great metaphor, though, because it's so dangerous. The spectacle itself is so dangerous. The man with his head in the jaws of the of the alligator is like, you know, he's talking about his skull being slowly crushed. I think there's right. something really powerful. Yeah. And I think it's also like, you know, kind of to some of the stuff we were talking about before as well, too, where I think, you know, I, and this is like just me talking. I'm not necessarily talking for Sky or anybody else, but it's like, I think, you know, the especially when it comes to, you know, indigeneity in film, like, which I think is something that, you know, I'm, I myself, and then also like, you know, with cousin as well too, and particularly passionate about like pushing out, pushing back against is, you know, the idea that like, you know, when there is any sort of like any element of indigeneity, or even if it's an indigenous filmmaker making a film, again it's kind of to what you were saying Devika, of like the idea of exotification where it's there's part of an idea that like part of it's a performance for people beyond who 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 it's made for and i think that that's something that again too something that i i'm sort of passionate about pushing and trying to you know and want to empower others to be like again too where it's like anytime in like film or something like that there's an indigenous person that shows up you have to like contextualize everything for an audience where it's like cool well like you know i nobody else has to do this why do we have to like you know let everybody know so i think and again too like with a lot of these films i think a lot of the richness of like the the work that's in this program or you know even like in particularly like you know work with uh like you know sky's work and stuff like that i think part of what makes those films so strong and like i think something that is is incredibly endearing about all, like all of these films is that they don't necessarily start from that point it's more kind of like you know, much in the same way that like, you know, when you're watching like an Ozu film, you don't need Ozu to explain to you the history of Japan to get to like where you're at. It's like, why not just watch the film and just enjoy it for what it is? And again, take it on sort of its own terms and and conditions and things like that, that the artist put forward. And um, yeah, and again, too, it's like, that's always my thing where I'm like, if we can empower indigenous artists to do that and to it and to support that type of work, then it's mission accomplished to to me, at least. One film that, that I'm reminded of as you're talking about this is uh, Christmas at Moose Factory, the Alanis Obamwasin film from 1971, I think, which is just like a, a children telling stories about Christmas and overlaid, you know, over their drawings of them, their family and just talking about the pictures. It becomes like one 
just sort of a universal story of childhood, but it, but, you know, with, with very specific markers, very specific cultural markers, but nonetheless, it's just like the, it's just a very beautiful and kind of cumulative experience. Something related to what Adam was saying and also uh, the film that Clint was describing. It's interesting because your films really don't necessarily provide context. I mean, they really just drop us into an experience Mm -hmm. um, and or into a kind of collage of sense or sound or linguistic kind of experiences and memories. You know, I was really struck by uh, Jaji, I believe the film is called, which I hadn't seen before. And I, I saw it as part of the series. And and I found that really fascinating, this elision of context and this emphasis on experience and immersion. And I'm wondering if you could speak to that um, sort of in relation to what Adam was saying about why should indigenous or any other kind of marginalized minority characters be burdened with having to explain themselves? Like, is that a part of your motivation? I guess like a few things like, um, well, even with like Jaji Aprox, the film opens with a title card saying like Jaji is the Ho-Chunk for how you directly address uh, a father in the language. And so each of like these um, introductions by, like, I guess, like me, the narrator is like my Jaji's recording from the state. And so it's just like a collection of these sort of like artifacts or archives of, of, of my own and just how then to relate to that. And, and that also like relates to, I guess, just these different ideas around context where, I mean, it's just like part of the question is like, is there no context or is there no context for you? You know, and then like, I think like that places the question around the audience, because I also really don't want to cry, like try to create a sense of um, uh, not was it like like um, fetishizing contextless cinema, you know, like, oh, like there's something we don't know about this. This is so fascinating, you know, just like <laughs> mysterious. The unknown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So yeah, so yeah, so it's just like I mean, I just it's it's like a thing I think about with opacity as well. Like you know, like I mean, is it's 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 not opaque to the people that are in the conversation. It's only opaque to the people outside of it. And so it's just like, can you really create something with the intention of making it opaque, or can you just like talk to your family, you know, or can you talk to your your, your community? And it's just that sort of like spectacle that then becomes a part of the whole experience which i think like relates to, to the previous question too like you know with, with halapate and just like the idea of the spectacle in native communities in general where i mean it goes it goes way back to you know the beginning of the reservation system and powwows and these different ways that native people had to in some ways sell their culture draw visitors to the reservation as a way to you know get funding to like make money to like sell wares to tourists so it's just like there's there's been a certain sense of tourism and spectacle i think from the inception of the reservation system in the late 1800s up into the presence you know like powwows are designed to get tourists to the reservations to you know look at native culture and so one of the things that i'm really interested in that history is just the agency that is presence the agency that was lost and the agency that we're trying to regain through how we also interact with our own cultural markers, you know, and the things that make us unique. So, I mean, and that also has to do with just like a resistance to erasure, you know, like, I mean, there's a reason why so many like documentaries made for by native people for white people have the title, like something like a riff on we're still here. We still remain, you know, there's a certain sort of desire to be seen. And so it's just, parsing through that desire, parsing through these different histories that have to do with stereotypes and and toxic representation that's, you know, just part of a constant churn of conversations 
about what does it mean to be Native and what does it mean to exist in these different forms of media that have typically been, you know, like a sort of love-hate relationship where it's like we want to be seen, but also like how can we not be, I don't know, taken advantage of. And I think also too, kind of like adding to what Sky was saying as well is like, you know, the idea that like, especially with the cousin stuff where it's like we don't present ourselves as like the authority on on any of this and it's it's really like i think as you can see you know from the, the program itself like it's the way that everybody sort of even though we all sort of have a lot of very similar cultural histories um you know whether it is through something like the reservation system or like you know having um family uh, and ancestors that have been through uh, the boarding school system um, that that existed um, or, you know, any other form of genocide and stuff like that, that, you know, I think that the way that indigenous people interpret and sort of uh, engage with their their own indigeneity is, again, too, we're not like monolithic at all, where I think, again, to something like the, the diversity and the variety of that's presented in the program. I mean, I hope it's it, it points to that. And it's, you know, something that is um, Again, to something that is like as robust as this program, I think it you know it shows kind of a, the richness of a lot of the the indigenous experience and what that means to us and like what that can mean to to other folks as well too. Are there any films that you want to highlight from this selection? I know you guys are presenting a selection of cousin films, but then there's others. You know, there's a lot of a lot more going on in this Thousand Sun Cinema project. Anything specific that you want to shout out? I would say I'm not going to tell you. You have to watch them all, and then we can talk about watch it. Watch them all. <laughs> yes. Come on, help me out. <laughs> oh, or maybe something that you know is hasn't been very available before that you think is yeah. sort of. I, I think going off of that prompt, I, <laughs> I feel comfortable. Yeah, because I, I think I had somebody on Twitter that asked me the same thing, and I was like, "You don't want to play this and end up, yeah, go, go there." One that I would highlight, and it's more a question of just like availability and and. And things is like um the the victor masiefsa jr uh, film uh those films have been particularly hard to see in general like i think after they, they'd been written about for a while but um and i know um one of his films i don't think it's it's not the one that's playing in in uh the program now but he had another film that was called hope it uh it come i think I, I might be mispronouncing that but it just recently got inducted into the the library of congress um which is great too i think it's just from a i mean obviously there's a you know there's a lot of questions around like what that means but i think just in terms of like from what it means from the standpoint of like any sort of potential like restoration for that work i think is is really important um so yeah so i would say you know definitely check out the his film that's that's playing just again too because it's like it's super outside of like you know at this point like kind of retrospective context at festivals or you know specific or certain regional festivals, it's really hard to see his work. So um, yeah, it's a beautiful film though. Yeah, I think shot in video back in back in the eighties and stuff, so. Cool. Um, I, I was, yeah, I, okay. I, 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 sorry. No, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was, so now I was you, have, too, um, you have an answer, have don't one, you? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I was just buying time to like pull up the website and get a refresher. <laughs> <laughs> um, Smooth. That's, yeah trying to bring down all kinds of opacity but um i think there's, there's uh, someone from the the recent um round of uh cousin supports svetlana romanova um she's a, a soccer filmmaker from um from russia and i don't know i just think her work is really beautiful and really i don't know insightful but i i highly encourage you to check it out she has a piece in there called monogabar it's about an hour long 
I also just was curious about kind of the scope of films here. You have some really kind of established um, or, or landmark kind of elder artists like Alanis uh, Obamsawin, and then a lot of emerging voices. Some of I, I believe Svetlana is is a more recent filmmaker, but like Fox Maxi. And I I'm curious if you see any differences in priorities and methods between you know older uh, indigenous cinema maybe from the 60s and 70s and uh work that has come up in the last like 5 6 years um i mean something i no- noticed which you know very cursory based on this pool of films is like a lot more um sort of self awareness and play with spectacle you know like um some of the older films really seem to be focused on really getting like histories out there, uh, making sure that people know histories that otherwise aren't remembered or preserved. And a lot of these uh, emerging artists seem to be really playing with language and form and uh, these kinds of questions of spectacle and commodification. But I'm wondering if you noticed anything while putting this together. I mean, like I guess I feel like they're all related in that sort of way and actually in the ways that you all pointed out. It feels like every filmmaker is contemporary to their time. I mean, that's, that's, I guess that feels obvious and that sounds obvious, but it's like a really like an art, art, archive of seeing what are the concerns of these different generations and how they build upon another. You know, like, like Fox, Axie, um, I mean, I don't know, I feel like, like their work speaks to their experience, but then also that experience has been shaped by the work of these previous generation, generations, you know? The films that Alan Bomswin has made, I mean, are, are so foundational to just like the way that I think about films and documentary, you know? And it's just, I, I don't feel like inclined to make those kinds of films, but I appreciate them to know, and I think that they're beautiful. I mean, in, in similar ways, I don't know. I, I just, I, I feel like that's like part of just like the sort of longer lineage or tradition of what it means to, be indigenous and pick up a camera and start to question the things around you in the moment that you're living and then how then that can be built built upon for future generations and how you know you can actually see that in the sort of like you know these tree rings of history of 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 what these filmmakers were doing what they were thinking about and how some of them or a lot of them are still relevant today i think you see that in the in one of the fox maxi films mott they're very explicitly bringing these older activists and footage of these older activists, at least to bear in, on the on the kind of very contemporary, very postmodern collage techniques of the film. Adam? Yeah, yeah no, I was going to say, I think like Fox is a really interesting and kind of perfect case to like, not only what Sky was saying, but also like kind of to the question you were bringing up as well, too, because again, to sort of thinking back on that that program that was with the San Francisco Cinematheque, where um, there was a conversation we had with both Shelley Nero and Fox. Um, and I think it's, you know, I, I don't think it's necessarily obvious until you kind of see both of their works in tandem, but like how similar some of that that is, or the approaches of, again, sort of like, some of it can be tongue in cheek, some of it can be like horrifying, some of it can be like touching on the historical or even questioning, you know, the idea of like performance or um or looking at different you know active you know struggles through activism and things like that so i think it's and there's a little bit of camp maybe to both their yeah, work. Totally. Yeah. yeah yeah or even like again too yeah like i was saying like not even just questioning sort of like the performance of indigeneity but also like having indigenous people perform in something that might or might not be a documentary <laughs> and stuff and so i think it's like it's yeah, things like that where I think it's something with this selection as well too is that where you know 
it, it's not uh you know this type of work has been going on for well before we've been here and stuff too so i think you know it's a lot of this is like a tradition that is either knowingly or unknowingly kind of drawn upon and it's something that i think is um you know something really beautiful in the program because it, again it shows that much in the way that like until we kind of like all found each other in the same place at uh at the flarity and stuff like that that you know this is it, it's it's also kind of one of these things where it's like you know it, it, i think it's it's nice as an indigenous artist or indigenous person working in sort of this corner of a film in the film world that you know that we're kind of like not alone like there have always been people doing this and it's it's nice like when you see that and it's kind of like one of those things where you know everybody sort of has those moments of uh, within sort of their own cinephilia where you see that film and you're like oh wow this person like gets me or like this film was made for me and it's like in a lot of ways i think like some of the the older work uh by some of these more elder figures like i remember when i first saw like victor Masayos's uh jr's work that was something where i was like oh wow like this is something that like i'd always thought about but i seeing seeing it kind of put to 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 film at like you know during a time where before I was even born is like, you know, kind of a, a huge mind blowing thing for me to see that. So I think we're at the end of our time. And I think that we've dug into a lot of different things. But before we uh, close out, I uh, we wanted to ask if you had anything else you wanted to share, anything you want our listeners to know about the program, uh, anything at all. Right now we're in uh, Porto at the uh... Uh, Battaglia Central de Cinema doing uh, some screenings of some work. Um, Sky's film is playing uh, tomorrow, uh, Mothney, and uh, and then Rain Vermette's film Saint Anne is playing on Sunday, um, and then tonight it, there's like a number of different sort of shorts that are playing and stuff. As we'd kind of mentioned before, there's the book that will be coming out uh, at some point in uh, early. Yeah, it should be pretty soon again. Um, but yeah, that's kind of I think the the next bigger thing that we have. I don't know, Sky, am I missing anything? No, this book that we need to find a title for, and um, I don't know. Like, I I think like you know, as we think about the future, it's like we're also thinking about like what is next, you know, and also just like how do we become obsolete as cousin, you know? It's just like how then do we pass this off to this sort of like next group of filmmakers or artists or whoever they may be, and also like how can we, I don't know, like see or think beyond the limits of our own imagination as far as what's possible, you know? Like, I mean, as far as like, you know, filmmakers that were making this kind of work in like the 50s, 60s, 70s, like these native people, you know, it's just like, could they have imagined what we're doing today? And so I think we're just like excited for the future and also how for, for, you know, more voices to come in and more people to come in and be part of this process and be part of, I don't know, this community of people and filmmakers that are questioning these things around indigeneity and, colonization and film great so congrats again on the series i'll just remind listeners that it's on the media city film festival website until january 30 viewable all over the world uh, for free so really unique opportunity that i hope everyone takes advantage of and thank you adam and sky uh, enjoy your time in porto and we're looking forward to what's next from cousin Thanks, thanks. Yeah, I think we'll see you at Sundance too, right? So Yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Very soon. Yes, you're on. The Film Comment Podcast features original music by Greg Einge. Film Comment is a publication of film at Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has been the home of independent film journalism. 
publishing in-depth interviews, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com.